welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. A few years after her Lomond venture, and when Kildevil Lodge had been sold to the Anglican Church, Ella Manuel returned to Bombay to rediscover Woody Point. In her words, she was getting my bearings again. There was rain early this morning, drumming on the roof of the house I had rented for the summer. Through the noise I could hear birds singing like mad, a cow lowing, and best of all, a motorboat putting out to sea. When I rose and opened the door, the smell of new-mown hay, damp earth, balsam trees, and good fresh manure was ambrosial. The first voice I heard this morning was my neighbor's, calling to his neighbor with the high, thin voice our men developed for shouting over the wind. He called out, "'The bay is full of squid squall this morning. Signs of fishing, they say.' Squid squalls are little jellyfish, and indeed the bay was simply heaving with them. And the second man said, "'I heard tell of that sign too, but last year we had plenty of fish without the squid squalls.' I called to my neighbor, "'What sort of a day is it going to be?' And he answered, "'Well now, me maid, I don't know what to say about today. "'Tis a proper wind for rain, and there's mist up on the tablelands, "'but the radio said fine and warm. Best you watch the sky.' I did. Mist in shreds, mist in patches, mist filling the hollow between the tablelands and the curiously shaped peak they call the Picatinny Reef.' I thought it strange to call a peak a reef, until one day I was leafing through some old National Geographic magazines and saw the picture of my reef, but in the Canary Islands, the peak of Tenerife. And across the arm the corrugated hill is called Gibraltar. Many an old seaman had put into this bay after leaving the Mediterranean and the Canaries, and what more natural than to name these hills for their doubles there across the Atlantic. A doctor who had moved here years ago from Ontario told me, when they asked me to come to Woody Point back in 1915, they said I could choose one of two vacant houses, but would have to do so immediately since there were so many people wanting them. And in the late fall, nearly every house had two families living in it, people moving in from the coast to fish for herring. All along the main road, he said, were big shops, and I remember how surprised my wife and I were at the variety of things we could buy here, goods you wouldn't find anywhere outside St. John's. Local merchants here used to import directly from Halifax and the old country, food, clothing, and furniture, and the people all had money to buy what they wanted. Oh, they had comfort in those days, before the terrible fire of 1922 that took nearly everything along the road clear down to the Halliburton house. Now, years later along the same road, there were several three-story houses with hardwood floors, marble-topped mantels and stained-glass windows, giving the village an air of comfort and serenity. I walked down through the meadow to breakfast in the little café and bar that hangs out over the water and gives a heavenly view. In what is really the hub of the village, 
men were already drifting in for a beer, having accomplished hours of work since sunrise. Bill came tearing into the pub looking for his jigger. Can't find me jigger anywhere. Wonder if the youngsters took it. No, boy, said John. I forgot to tell you. I took the line off it to fare up the chimbley I'm building. And then George arrived and announced that the Sims boys got 19 mackerel in their net that morning. I asked if they had to go far to set their net. Far, exclaimed George, far. No, my maid, they ties the net to the leg of the kitchen stove and just hauls her in when they get up in the morning. Wonderful way to fish. A stranger came in to inquire about sending a telegram. The answer? Go down to the new office, down there, not up the old one. They're all capsized up there. Nobody laughed. Later I discovered that they were in the process of moving to the new office, and I can think of no better word to describe the chaos they were in. Later, a woman dropped in, she said, to see if I was comfortable, and if I needed anything, because if I wanted some splits or some wood sawed, her grandson would be only too happy to oblige. Splits, kindling for my wood stove, I did want, but for now I had enough to make a fire under the kettle and brew some tea. I did need help with cleaning the chimney unused for years. For that, she said, you want a red devil. Well, did I indeed. And then I discovered that the devil was a small block of something or other that you put in the stove on top of a hot fire and let it explode up the chimney along with the accumulated soot. Only mind you don't have your washing on the line the same time, she added. My visitor, looking through my window at the magnificent sweep of sea and hills, said, My, I remember how my mother used to stand in front of the sink and look out from Wesleyville across the water, the water that stretched, yes, clear to Spain over the Atlantic. She was a tiny, frail woman, my mother, with yellow hair and light blue eyes, and when it blew a storm, she would stand there and say, That's something man can't tame. Just look at that and father would remind her of the men in danger out there, but she wouldn't care. Seems there had to be something in the world that nobody could get the best of, and it was the sea. My friends, who have no fortune, tell me that many on this part of the coast who do made it on smuggling. I like to look at the few surviving old houses with their oak ceilings and their stained glass windows and wonder how many bottles of contraband spirits it took to build them. And contributing to the building and furnishing of many homes were wrecks. Now, if a vessel went ashore, you'd be silly not to take anything that you and your family were capable of moving. I know a woman who has in her dining room a pedestal on which a massive chair swivels and rocks back and forth, the captain's chair out of some wreck. And all over the place are spoons, forks, knives of silver with the names of long-forgotten ships engraved on them. And if you've something the origin of which you want to hide, you always say when asked where you got it, Oh, I got it out of a wreck. That's warning a plenty that you are to ask no more questions. I asked Cleve if the water was warm enough for swimming. Sure, he said. I've been in and out of it all summer. Only trouble is I never gets time to take me clothes off. Apparently, he spends his spare time pulling children out of the bay. This is the way he tells it. Well, the first one I handed out was Jim's boy. He can't be more than two. I was down tying up the dory one evening when I heard the biggest kind of screeching. 
I knew for sure someone was in the water, but the youngsters were so frightened they couldn't tell me where. So I dove in, boots and all, and what do you suppose? I saw a pair of rubber boots floating under the pier, so I made a grab but missed. Then I got under the pier and caught the youngster as he drifted in. The air in his boots was floating him upside down. So then I got him up on the pier and I laid him on my knees and rocked him back and forth, head up, then down. And when he yelled, I tell you, I was some proud. I sang out to his father and told him what happened. Little bugger, if he wasn't down by the wharf again today, all by himself. Chris added, Buys, there's some changes down in Lomond now, but Lardy's still hanging out there with his new wife. You ever hear about when he first got married? asked John, and not waiting for a reply, went on. Well, you know, Lardy couldn't read very much, and one day he gets a letter from his old girlfriend. He wanted to know what it said, but he didn't want his wife to know, so he took the letter to her to read, but not before he stuffed her ears with tow. This, I soon discovered, was the word for cotton wool. That afternoon, the mist was creeping down over the green hills, sending little shreds and patches ahead, and joining them together until the landscape was blotted out. A moment later, the sun broke through the hills on the other side of the bay, and shone with intensity that warmed you through and through. But now it's time for bed. A quarter moon hangs over Picatinny Reef, and on the moon's horn a blue star. The sea is a black mirror, only the white edges of foam in the wake of the motorboat coming back from a day's fishing. I don't suppose there is a more beautiful or more peaceful place in the whole world than this, and I'm perfectly certain there are no kinder or more charitable people anywhere. I'm reminded of a verse. Uh, I wish I knew who wrote it. Now on my left a wood, and on my right the sea. The place I am is good, and it is well with me. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late Ella Manuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening.